0: Hello and welcome to Bites episode 108, I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. In this episode, tiger feet, with added socks, docks and shifty cows. And wait for it, it's our 10th birthday! this far oh boy do we have a plan for celebrating with you keep listening to hear what our gift to you, lovely mac biters is but first just just a minute just a minute
1: what our gift is to them yes shouldn't they be giving us
0: gifts that's a very good point what your you fancy
1: uh new iMac
0: you've already got one well i'll have another one mm. anything from the apple store that would be fine that would be absolutely fine But as I was saying, first of all, we heard from Evie, who said, thank you for covering two-factor authentication in the last show. I thought it was only me holding back through fear of losing access to my own account. I loved your piece. It made me feel I wasn't an idiot for being concerned. Can I just say, that's Evie finished now. I'll just say, never, ever, ever, ever underestimate the extent to which a simple, massive air quotes, update can go wrong. Also, keep listening for the full fiasco of my two-factor authentication upgrade. Now, the surprise appearance of the last show was greeted warmly by many of you. So, huge, huge thanks for that. And um, as you can see, we're back again.
2: Which is just as surprising.
0: Ah, differences though. This time, with a plan. Keep listening for details of that. Anyway, big thanks have got to go to Derek, Graham, Andrew, Carrie, Evie, Kevin, and everyone else who got in touch. It is much appreciated. And more feedback after the sad, sorry tale of Facebook's foul up for the uninitiated. That was when Facebook kindly let Paul know of the event, the Bites Live, after said event. Everyone sent their love to Paul from the chat room. Well, the next event, this was the iPhone 8, iPhone 10, can't make our mind up, no idea where 9 is event. It was Kevin who couldn't make it. And all the chat rooms sent their regards to him. We're a friendly bunch, aren't we? Anyway, with a bit of luck, Apple might treat us to another event before Christmas and we can all do it again. But if not, I—I I, we've threatened this a lot. I think we should just have an event of our own, don't you? I
1: do. Yeah, let's go for it. Yeah,
0: why not? But back to feedback and things that went on after the last show. Graham was colour grading at work while listening to the show. With what he claimed to be, wait for it, a shifty looking cow... Now, in fact, since he posted a picture of said shifty cow to Twitter, I can confirm it was indeed one very mean-looking shifty cow. Links in the show notes. Have a look for yourself. But we took advantage of the situation, as ever, and declared it was the perfect time for a new hashtag to share the love. Hashtag being things I do while listening to MacBites. Minster, of course, stole the show with said new hashtag things I do whilst listening to Mac Bites. He deemed it wise to risk using the biggest bench saw I have ever seen while listening to the show. He just knows no fear. But believe me, there will be a reward for his fearlessness. Keep listening, Minster. And uh, you found an interesting little humorous tidbit while we were away too.
1: I did. I was watching the Microsoft Data Insights Conference Keynote. Sounds riveting. It was. Anyway, James Phillips, who's the Corporate VP of Business Applications, introduced Siri Sun not son of Siri, Siri son.
0: <laughs> I, I had I had visions there. Yes, <laughs> I, w- I was unaware Siri was a father.
1: S-U-N. He's the, uh, the senior program manager at Microsoft by saying, I'm going to do everything in my power not to say H-E-Y Siri, because every phone in this auditorium would light up.
0: <laughs> no, you did show it, mate. I appreciated that. I did appreciate that.
1: If anyone wants to see that, there is a link in the show notes to the uh, the video on YouTube.
0: And whilst we're talking of videos on YouTube, another interesting highlight while we've been away. Nick sent us the link to an interview with Scott Forstall. And I thought it was a fascinating insight into the birth of the iPhone and some great anecdotes about Steve Jobs. It was so nice to be taken back to those exciting days when the pace of tech progress was astounding. I know you listened to it, but the highlights for me was um, the story about the acupuncture the lunchtime story and um, the Microsoft guy when he said, should we credit him with um, the iPhone's innovation? So uh, I really loved that. And uh, you said when you were listening to it, you did listen to it rather than watch it on YouTube, didn't you? I
1: did. I was actually listening to it on the on the drive into work, which actually proves that if it's a video that's just an interview, you don't particularly have to sit and watch it. You can just listen to it. No, it
0: was one of those things that, that would work just as well. Audio, so I did, but um, the acupuncture story was um, I'd not heard before. It was about when Scott was very ill, and um, Steve Jobs sent him an acupuncturist, and um, he was cured. Which I'm a great believer in alternative therapy, so I appreciated that one. The lunch story involved um, Steve Jobs, and um, he always insisted on paying for lunch, but you used to pay with an Apple card, so it was um, like your corporate ID card, and um, it was then taken out of your salary, and uh, when Scott said, you know, let me do it this one. So, no, no, no. I insist, said Steve Jobs. Um, his, his rationale being they only pay me a dollar. So who's paying for all these lunches? <laughs> Which I thought was fantastic. <laughs> it's
1: a good story yeah, that. Yeah. I love that
0: video. So thanks for that, Nick. And uh, thanks for the link to the YouTube video of an Apple customer service nightmare. I'll I'll briefly recap what's in this video because it, it's well worth a watch. But uh, if you've not got time, I'll summarise is a gentleman who had bought a 2016 MacBook Pro and when he turned it on, he had a crackling sound. Don't know about you. Mine would have gone back at that point. But I can understand if you've actually taken the time you've set it up, you're thinking, no, no, it'll go away. It's it's just settling in. But um, by the time he decided to deal with it, he was out of his 30 day return period. So He took it in and had it repaired. And just like my experiences, note that plural, multiple experiences of Apple repairs, it didn't go well. They replaced the screen saying that would solve the problem. But he was not confident of that to start with because the noise was coming from behind the touch bar. When it returned with the new screen, though, the case ended up being misaligned. Now, you listening to me, Mike, should be thinking, I've heard that before. Reminded me of Mikey B's MacBook repair back in 2007. Do you remember that one?
1: I'm just just thinking about that one. Yeah, he had
0: an old style MacBook Pro now, but I mean, it was top of the range at the time. It was the one with the push button release that released the screen. And when he got it back, I can't remember what was actually wrong with it, but obviously it involved dismantling the case. When he got it back, it wouldn't even close. So it went back for repair again, but... He had at least three abortive attempts at a repair and each time he had to travel 30 to 40 miles round trip to take it to wherever it went. I know the first time he took it into a repairer over in Warrington, which is probably about 20, 20 odd miles from here. Something like that. um, Thinking that would be nearer. But then they quoted him a turnaround time of something like two weeks. So he ended up travelling all the way to the Trafford Centre. <laughs> you got you got something wrong with your Mac. Last place to take it, Trafford Centre. Don't go there. But he did, and um that was when he, he ended up having three repair jobs there. Seems things are no better. So the guy in the video tried to make a claim under his warranty, which was rejected by Apple, and they were arguing about it for months. He had wads of paper um, that had been going backwards and forwards. Eventually, he found a page on Apple's own website informing him of his rights under English law. And I do mean English, not British. Laws in Scotland do differ. They tend to do their own thing up there. But under English law, you have six years to request a replacement or a refund when a repair has failed. Now, in Scotland, it's five years. But the distinction that you need to make when you're claiming is there is a distinction between a warranty claim and a consumer law claim. And obviously, because he had a warranty, he he was under a warranty with his um, equipment. He made a warranty claim. The moment he changed that claim to being a consumer law claim, Apple instantly caved. My opinion listening to this poor guy's experience was you should not need to be Rumpole of the Bailey for Apple to do the right thing. I don't know what you think.
1: I agree. And uh, we, we had our own run-in, didn't we, at one point at the Apple store? And we had to... Uh, which one? Which one, yes. Um, <laughs> wasn't it
0: the ITV? Oh, I remembered that one. Yes, I was thinking about that as I was watching this you, video.
1: You, you armed me with um, consumer law that I had to quote to them.
0: Yes, yes, that's right. Um, It, it, it was within its year of warranty but it was beyond its initial 14 days. From memory, it, it was at least six to eight months, wasn't it, old, this thing, but it was within its 12 months warranty. And I'd sent you back, I think I was nursing mayor at the time or something like that, and I'd sent you back with it. And I thought I'd given you quite enough information when you went in, um, but you ended up, they they shoved you out the door and said, no, you. It, there was a warranty, but the warranty wasn't with them. The warranty was with who had Elgato at the time, wasn't it? Yes, they've sold it since. But um, yes, it it was you had to deal with them direct, which is complete and utter hogwash. So you went outside the store and you rang me and said, not having any joy here. And I think the problem for us was we didn't have a TV. That was our TV. And with it being completely broken, it was a case of don't come home without one. And it was, well, do I buy a new one? And I said, no, 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 you turn right round and you go back in and you start quoting. And I I gave you the Sale of Goods Act and all the stuff to say, which is what I would be saying if I was there. But I wasn't. I told you. And um, they caved instantly, didn't they? You came back with a new one. Mm. Now, what they could have done was actually sent it away themselves. But the minute you show them that you know what you're talking about, they do. They just cave. But I think they should just do the right thing in the first place. Because, OK, they I bet they get away with it 90% of the time, but that's not the point. Is that the ethos that we expect from Apple? It's the ethos I've come to expect, but through experience, I might add. But, you know, it's not really how it should be. And um, you are covered for a lot more than you would think. Now, I would still pay for AppleCare, which I know in the face of that is completely ridiculous. My problem is when I've got something that's broken, I need it dealing with Now. And to be honest, I've never personally had to resort to um, a consumer law claim. I have always and I have had kit replaced multiple times. Um, I'd never, I would never—I don't think I've told the full story of the last one because it happened around the time mum was dying. And um, literally there were iMacs being delivered as she was lying there. So I, I will, I'll, I'll sort out all the notes that I've got from that and fill you in. But basically in in my time with Apple, I think I've had kit replaced about five times and I've never had to resort to it being a a consumer law claim. I've always managed to convince them under warranty. Uh, I have let them do one repair. (laughs) And as we all know, it never ends well. Uh, And you only have to let them do the one repair. I think I sent it back for two repairs, though two screen replacements. So I gave them double what they actually needed. But whenever I've got onto Apple I have heard the famed line, what can we do to make it right? At which point I have a shopping list. You sit there comfortably and I'll recite what you need to do. And they have done. I I don't know. I mean, this poor guy was, they were trying to fob him off right and left. I'd say just don't be fobbed off. But practical steps that I thought of as I was watching this video was um, because it came back with a case me at misaligned. Always photograph your kit, every aspect of it before you take it in for any kind of repairs, because if it comes back scratched or it comes back with the lid misaligned, how do you prove that it happened in the repair? If you if you don't have video of it, if you don't have photographs of it. So I always do that before it goes back. I've got so many, you know, this business of one camera roll and it's all you need your entire life's on it. Most of mine's pictures of kit on its way back. So I do like to have everything separate, but that's what I do with it. Uh, And then it's a case of knowing your rights. Well, it wasn't difficult to find. It's on Apple's website. Obviously, nobody at Apple's read it, but hey, it's still there. And thirdly, just don't be fobbed off. Um, I think my my longest repair took about three months. Obviously, I'm incredibly lucky to be in a position, also incredibly bankrupt to be in said position, that I do have alternative kits sat on my desk. If you don't, and it's mission critical, or even if you're just a keen photographer or whatever, you don't want to be without a machine for three months. I'd say at that point, if if they expect that of you and they're not budging and you mention a consumer law case, also mention the fact that being without your kit for that long, you're entitled to compensation for that as well. And if you take them to a small claims court, you will win. It's as simple as that. So once they're made aware of that, I think you'll find that will, um, what's the phrase, light a fire under them which is something that they could definitely do with, to be honest. So a great video. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. You might not need it now, but go and watch it anyway. You never know when disaster will strike and you'll be glad that you have watched that. Also, while we've been away, ooh, toys, new toys, a completely new version of Pixelmator was announced. Uh, It's about a month ago now, just over a month ago, known as Pixelmator Pro Whirlwind. Ooh. Trouble is, we're still waiting for it. Mm. In the meanwhile, we have had Pixelmator 3.7 at Mount Whitney. Is it just me thinking they are making these up as they go along? Yes, Mount Whitney has arrived to keep us occupied. Um, pretty much the only thing in that seemed to be full High Sierra compatibility, but certainly something to look forward to this autumn.
1: Are you changing from Affinity Photo then?
0: Oh, come on. A girl can never have too much software. You can never have too many toys. And talking of never having too many toys, hot on the heels of the imminent arrival of Pixelmator and even more exciting for me is Scrivener 3, due in late 2017. Now, I did have high hopes of before NaNoWriMo, which is the 1st of November. Not looking good for that, sadly. But um, huge range of additional features, massive improvements to existing features, and I seriously cannot wait for the final release. It's actually super important because... Um, I use it for the show. All our notes for the show find their way in there. I know it's hard to believe this is all organised, but I can assure you it is. Um, Mainly because it gives us some notes. So we've got some kind of running order. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's planned. Um, And also I press a button and we get the show notes popping out the end. A little bit like a toaster with your piece of toast flying out. So absolutely love Scrivener. Cannot wait for it. And while we were busy spending copious amounts of money, more on that shortly, something that could easily have gone by unnoticed, but I can assure you didn't. The addition of a whole range of extra shapes added to the basic shapes within iWork. I love that. Love the feature. In fact, I already make huge use of the basic shapes and Boolean operations. Now, why was this important? Well, let's take a trip back in time. Sorry?
1: That, 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 that's like that little, you know, the thing they do on TV.
0: I've got a proper one, but I'll use you if you like.
1: When it goes back in time. Oh, you know what I mean.
0: Sadly, I do. <laughs> Are we out to practice or is it just you? No, it's just, just you. <laughs> right, we're going back in time. Don't do it again. We're going back to WWDC in 2004, which obviously before our time. But it was when they announced 10.4 Tiger. And there were posters hung all around probably the Moscone Centre, that said, Redmond, start your photocopiers. A huge dig at Microsoft. Longhorn had been in development for years, and I do mean years, before it finally became Vista. Well, can I just say, Cupertino, start up your photocopiers. Because Microsoft added a complete library of SVG shapes and icons last year, 2016. Only in the Windows version, needless to say, but... This one, serious case of pot and kettle. I
1: like those icons in uh, in PowerPoint. Well, across the whole office range, actually.
0: Oh, I do as well. Don't get me wrong. That's not the point. It's, it's the fact that, you know, don't have a, a dig at Microsoft and then do the exact same yourself. Because we know how, oh, what's the word? Uninspired Apple have been in relation to the iWork apps for many, many years. So, you know, if there are lots of things they could add to it, there are lots of things they that those apps need, obviously for me, particularly Keynote. And um, to just wholesale, oh, that's a good idea. Let's let's stick that in there. I think that's a big pot kettle. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I could, I could give them a shopping list of things it needs. I shall do that. I shall write up a shopping list of everything. I think I've done it. But do you know, every week I find more things that are missing. But yes, I still use it. So what what can I do? What can I say? But I I do like what they've added. And um, I should do a video on that. I should. Because I did a video on the basics. I should do a video on that. Anyway, let's move along. iOS 11. Mm, As usual, I was there bang on 6pm UK time. Poised to do the deed. Unlike usual. It wasn't hours before the download started. In fact, the first estimate for completion of the download, was four minutes. 1.89 gig.
1: You were very confident they were Apple minutes, though, weren't you?
0: Scarily confident. Enough to make a wager that if it did actually complete the download in four minutes, I'd walk up the street naked.
2: Very brave in this weather.
0: I timed it, but was disappointed. I wasn't. I was relieved. As was the rest of the street, to be honest. But back to the tech... Uh, It actually took about 15 minutes in total before the update started to install. And? And it went swimmingly. Mm. I mean, the download was fast, but then we do have a great connection. Um, It's a 220 meg download. But the whole thing was completed in 35 minutes from clicking download to opening iOS 11 on my iPad Pro. Uh, First one I put it on was um, one that I could actually do without, which was uh, my iPad Pro 12.9 inch Rev 1 back from 2015. You sound surprised. I was. It never, ever goes that well. I spent the next 20 minutes wondering when the other foot was going to fall, to be honest. We never do the beta, so I was expecting to be blown away by the new features. But most of the most useful improvements weren't actually instantly obvious apart from the dock, which I'll admit I spent a disproportionate amount of time configuring. The dock actually makes
1: it feel more like a proper OS, a bit like the Mac. Although having said that, I don't actually use the dock on the Mac. It's, it's just small and gets in the way. But it's great to be able to have quick access to apps with a swipe without switching back to the home screen.
0: I actually made a decision. I think this was when I got it on my second iPad to configure all my iPad docks the same. Now, I know. I know that seems obvious. But I realised I'd never actually done that before. When I'd configured my iPads, I'd configured each one as a new iPad and done it manually. I counted up, I've had eight iPads over the years and each one was set up as a new device. And I sort of installed apps as I needed to. I'm sure you're the same. Where on earth did I get all this crud from? So I'll start from scratch and I'll only install what I need. And because of that, they were all slightly different in terms of both the apps installed and the configuration of them, which page they were on, what folders they were in. Somehow it did work for me. Didn't cause me any confusion at all. I I would pick up one device and instantly know, you know, this is device number one and and what I need is there. This is device number two. It's in a different place. I guess just like, you know, maybe you've got different TVs and and the remotes work in a different way. I, I just, that's how I worked. It didn't cause me any problems. But with 15 icons, I decided to have the same apps in the same location on all devices, which in turn got me thinking about which apps I use the most. And then how I actually use an iPad for creation rather than consumption.
1: Yeah, I've only updated one iPad, but I take your point about configuring them the same because that way you know where things are, muscle memory and all that.
0: Yeah, the one thing I noticed as I was doing this update though, and it was very different, hardly anyone was tweeting about doing the same. There was maybe like two or three people. Could be people having more sense than we did all back in the day when we were expected it to work on day one. Or maybe people have left Twitter. I mean, it has become uh, slightly, she said, mired in politics. Uh, By slightly, I mean completely. Um, But it went so well, I did my 2017 iPad Pro 12.9 inch next and even tempted you to do yours because you hadn't done any at that point, had you?
1: No, and uh, that went swimmingly too. A bit too well, like you said. Quick, easy, no issues.
0: Well, it did make me take a more serious look at the Apple Notes app. I gave it a cursory glance back when it was originally released, laughed at how many features it lacked and left it alone. In fact, didn't it need an email address associated with your iCloud account to work? I think it did. We don't need to go over the iCloud account merging farce again, do we? No. 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 No, I thought not. Anyway. The uh, Notes app, much improved. It's now got a document scanner, so obviously using your camera. There's pencil support, instant markup, inline drawing, handwriting recognition, but to be honest, not a patch on OneNote. Very, very basic. And strangely, no OCR for scanned content or attachments. So you can't search inside files. But they've clearly taken inspiration from the Surface pen and the Surface. Do you remember us talking about that? I do. I was lusting after it. You can touch the lock screen with the pencil and it cranks up um, notes with a new page. And there's options to configure whether you create a new note or you add text and content to existing notes. Now, when I saw that feature on Surface, it was awesome, but it is slightly different on Surface. Um, The Surface pen, rather than it being a pencil, it has a kind of click top on it. So a little bit like a ballpoint pen that you would press the thing on the top. What that would do is without touching the surface, it would wake it and activate OneNote. Now, obviously, the Apple Pencil design just doesn't allow for that. Maybe if you integrated fingerprint recognition into the pencil, it might be a better idea, but are you likely to use it?
1: Probably not. I'm a OneNote boy and I intend to stay that way. I might use Apple Notes for a really quick note. um, Like, can you get something for the shop? Um, for that, I don't need all the bells and whistles like pencil support and so on and so on.
0: Yes, I, I actually have a way that I work um, already for for those kind of notes. And no, I I wouldn't bother with OneNote for those either or Evernote because they're too too big, too heavy. Do you get what I mean? As an app, that the little 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 bit too too many features um, when to just do it really quickly. Um, I'll talk about that in in an upcoming show. Remind me. But I did have a whole thing going on with that, which Apple Notes now might be able to take care of. But I think what stopped me in my tracks was it needed an email address. And of course, my Apple ID isn't my email. Yeah, we're not going there. But I had a problem with it. So it didn't work, basically. So when I tested it and tried it and saw what the features were like, I was doing it locally just to one device. Um, and that isn't going to work for what we're talking about, where you want it appearing on your desktop and your other devices. But we'll come back and talk to that in a future show. But that was all the good news. The next few days were spent sorting the tech out and installing it on the other devices. But it had gone so well. There was only one way for this to go, wasn't there, at this point, And that was downhill. My iPad Pro from 2016 threw a fit. It downloaded the update OK, refused to verify the download, repeatedly so after about the fifth go i thought oh i wonder if it's the vpn so i decided to try changing the vpn settings it seemed like a, a good idea at the time it wasn't a good idea i managed to crash the vpn client twice and then the ipad died a spectacular death screen black then flashing then nothing then what i did the wise thing which was leave it alone for 20 minutes and it was fine. Obviously needed some personal time. Once I did had to think about it, and to be honest, thinking about a potential visit to Team Trafford, it sprang back to life as if nothing had happened. I did deem it wise to leave the phone, though. And I still have. Despite no horror stories of brick devices, I had a new Apple Watch on the way and I decided to take it very carefully. Um, another issue for me, don't know about you probably, but not to the same extent, the number of photos on the device. It seemed ludicrous to juggle almost 70 gig of photo and video across multiple backups. I also realised at that point I had 50 gig of audio files to shift off it as well. <laughs> Shameful admission or sage decision. Um, I still haven't done my primary iPhone, so uh, I'm still waiting on that. But um I've got a funny tale of thinking about doing it though. A close friend breezed in for a coffee a few days after the iOS 11 update was released, and I do mean just a few days where I'm still in the cold sweat stage. And um, she said she loved the new UR driving feature. So I said, white as a sheet, uh, you did the upgrade then? Brace yourself for the reply. She said, yes. It said there was an update just as I was going for my shower this morning. So I said yes. I'm just going to let that sink in. My reaction was, what? No backup, no planning, no cold sweat. OMG. It's all incantations around here at MapBytes headquarters on update day, replete with suitable sacrifices to the tech gods. I did it while I had a quick shower. Oh, my word.
1: Needed a lie down, did you?
0: I was completely speechless.
1: Not all bad then.
0: Oi! I did eventually update my trusty iPhone 6 Plus, and that did go alarmingly well. But that's where we're up to, so let us know how it went for you. The burning question is, was it worth the update though? multitasking is welcome, if a little quirky, but um, it's going to be a matter of changing years of your previous iOS mindset, I'd have thought.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. It'll take me a while to get my head around dragging an app icon to the right hand side of the screen and swiping up to, to bring the dock up.
0: I'm not too bad remembering that I can have two things on the screen now, which I didn't really use before with the dock. So without the dock, I don't think I'd be bothering with that. What I actually find more difficult, um, the docs made it easy to do that. It's made it easy to change one of the apps for another app. All of that's great. You've even got the float over panel over the top as well. I'm all right with all of that. Um, The bit that gets me is when you've got two apps on the screen, you know, the dividing bar between them that you're supposed to be able to just touch and drag. Yeah. I, I seem to not be in the right place ever, ever, ever. I don't know why. So either I'm pressing and pulling and touching in the wrong place or it's, or it's wrong, one or the other. I can do it, but I'd say it fails about 30% of the time. You know, I have to do it twice, three times, but uh, never mind. There were also updates to the iWork apps, Pages, Numbers and Keynote on uh, iOS. I
1: don't know. I, I just stuck them in a folder on screen three or four or five or somewhere out of the way.
0: What? My beloved iWork apps? Well, actually, my former beloved iWork apps. But um, there were some subtle changes and additions, but very welcome anyway. You can triple tap to select paragraphs of text, which I was convinced was there to start with because I was used to triple clicking with a mouse on a desktop app. But I tried it on an old version and no, it wasn't. So I I have no idea what I was on thinking that. Uh, There's Boolean shape operations and break apart complex shapes from the shapes library. So both of those very, very useful as well. The only thing was initially it was a living nightmare to select multiple shapes. It is a two handed operation at least. Let's just say I wouldn't recommend trying to do it whilst riding an exercise bike and balancing an iPad on the handlebars. You didn't, did you?
2: She most certainly did.
0: At least I proved the industrial strength case it was snuggled up in was up to the job.
1: Boolean shapes. Sounds thrilling.
0: Don't knock it until you've tried it. I did a whole 25-minute video on that. I can assure you it's infinitely fascinating.
1: We'll
2: take your word on that.
0: Anyway, it got better than that. An update to the Mac version of Pages, Numbers and Keynote added searching and filtering of the object list in Keynote. Made my life, that did. The what? The object list. Not heard of it? No. It's awesome. Um, It shows between, you have to toggle it on, but it shows between the slides on the left and the individual slide in the slide view. So you have the big slide on the right and the slide list on the left. Well, this object list shows in between the two. You then select a slide and the object list shows you all the objects that are on that slide in a list view. It includes groups, and you can then drill down into the groups and it allows you to rename elements, change the stacking order, delete elements. It was awesome already. But now, though, you can filter by element type. So that's text, shapes, uh, lines, images, movies, tables and charts. You can also search for things by name. So it actually now makes more sense to take the time and name things on your slides. It's great for complex slides that have many, many elements on them. In fact, I've got a funny story about a slide from a few years back. You'll know the one I mean. Once seen, never forgotten. We had a guest presenter come in for a group that we ran locally. Now, it was very seldom that we had guest presenters. And having seen this one, I I know why. Uh, This one was on security and the guy gets going and he went through a couple of slides at the beginning. And then this slide appeared with text flying in on it on a timed basis. So, if you can imagine blocks of text flying in every five seconds or so, it was a new text element, just flew in from alternate sides about every five seconds for quite a while. Literally, he stood there talking with this slide behind him for over five minutes. I've given shorter presentations than this single slide was on the screen. It was just endless. By the time he'd finished, we were all asleep. Well, there was that as well. I was going to say my mind was boggling with how long the slide must have taken to create and what it must have looked like in design view. Because if you think about it, each one of those elements in design view would be stacked on top of the other elements. You know, it wouldn't be the time to find out that 50 elements down, you'd made a spelling mistake, would it? Well, we soon found out what it looked like in design view when he produced a printout of the slide notes for us. He printed it out. It looked a complete mess. Couldn't read one word on it. It was just text box on text box on text box, each obscuring the other. Now, the reason for relaying this sad sorry tale is that that was a situation when the ability to locate a specific object without disturbing the elements on the slide would have been priceless. Without an object list, there would just be no alternative other than to move the elements out of the way or try changing the stacking order, the Z index, to locate and correct, like I've said, a simple spelling mistake. So that list, a great addition.
1: Not that you're actually recommending creating a slide like that.
0: Heavens no, don't go there. Don't ever, 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 ever. No, I mean, to me, I think I've got one slide that I have with animation on it. And it's a slide that I I have animation on because it's got a graphic on it and it's got like bullet points. I know bullet points, but there is a reason. And the sole reason that this is one single slide is because I don't use it as a slide. I export it to graphics to put in videos. But if it was a presentation that I was actually giving, then I wouldn't have animation on a slide full stop. I would actually create multiple copies of the first slide, which has bullet one on it. So the second slide would have two bullets on and the third would have three on. Now, you might think, why on earth would you do that, woman? That is completely the wrong way to do it. But there is method to my madness. Often when I'm giving a presentation, particularly a live presentation, not particularly online, But it would work online. But when you're in a live situation, I'm sure you've been there, you've got this thing. And and the only reason, the only time I would put bullet points on a slide would be the wrap up slide where I'm doing a recap. And it might have sort of five, six bullet points on it. I don't really leave much space for many more. But if I've got those five, six bullet points on, odds are you'll move on to the next slide and somebody will want you to go back to bullet point four. If I go back to a slide that was built with animation, I have to go back one slide and then click forward five times to get to bullet five. Whereas if they say, can, can we talk about bullet four, or bullet five, I can literally just move back to that particular slide and I don't have to let them sit through the animation again. So that is why I actually choose to do that. Um, but that's like, a that's just me, isn't it? But you do not try and put your entire presentation on one slide. There's no need for that. There were some demises, though, with iOS 11. Um, I had quite a few apps installed on my iPhone 6 Plus that had not been updated to 64 bit. So I actually made a list of them and I wondered how many you had and whether I'd missed them or not, because I think a lot of them are, are probably, well, yeah, looking at them, they're not ever going to be updated. One was called tra- Traffic Info. And it still worked. And it was the one that I used to check the traffic. Uh, I know, don't you have the RAC or the AA one?
1: Yeah, one of those two.
0: I had this one because I think I'd had it. I think I had it when I had my iPhone 3G. But um, it did. It just worked. There was no ads in it. No sort of slow startups on it. Just worked brilliantly. But obviously it was 32 bit and it's now RIP. Um, another one was Monosnap. Now, Monosnap is that thing on the desktop lets you take screenshots and share them. So it was great to have that on, on the iPhone and that didn't get an update, so I assume that one's gone as well. One was Cafetivity. I don't know if you remember that one. It gives you that ambient noise, like white noise of of a coffee shop.
1: Yeah, I remember this that This isn't one. ringing anybody. Yes, it is. Oh, you do it remember is. it?
0: There's Cafetivity and coffee I think. Um, well, one of them's gone, didn't get an update. And then one that I know you were asking about, which was ConvertBot.
1: Yeah, I had to uninstall that one too.
0: I still had it installed, but I also knew, I don't I don't know why I still had it installed, because I knew um, it had sort of been replaced with CalcBot. And there's an in-app purchase in CalcBot that you can get your conversion stuff. So uh, I willingly uninstall that. I actually had already bought the in-app purchase. So that one didn't matter. Uh, there was one that instant meeting that you talked about.
1: Yeah, that had already already died anyway. No great loss. That
0: was quite handy though. So it was sad that. That was the one where you could dial into um, a conference call and it sorted out all of the press this for that and something for something else. So that was quite sad. I had a YouTube client called Jasmine, um, which had gone a while back it's called jasmine after the developer's daughter and um, it was one of those unlikely hits and unfortunately for him he just didn't have the time to keep it up keep the development up so that had gone you could carry on using it but you know any changes to the api weren't going to be supported and then it was obviously 32-bit so that had gone There was one i remembered real blast from the past tweet library the one that let you put tweets in a library so it made like a story no many many moons ago we used that uh, and that that had gone. Then there was one that did make me smile. Photoshop Touch. Hmm. Adobe. Not really got their act together, have they? So um, that's been replaced by something else. But I've totally lost track of what's been replaced by what with Adobe. Another one was called Group Picks. And I couldn't for the life of me remember why it was on my iPhone. Bet you couldn't either. No. Then it came to me as I thought Group Picks, Group Picks. Looks like the icon didn't mean a thing. I don't think group picks. groupies. Picks. Nope didn't didn't even ring any bells. Um, it was an Adobe app. Do you remember the one where they wanted you to have like photo carousels, and charge you for the privilege, or has that skipped your mind too?
1: No, I don't remember that one.
0: Yeah, trust me, that's what it was. So um, that's that's gone as well. Twenty thirteen. Yeah, so it's been there a while. Uh, Adobe Ideas, which I know you loved, that's no longer supported.
1: I do remember that one.
0: I know it was supposed to have been replaced with um. Illustrator draw, but I'm sorry, nothing was just as obvious and as simple as Adobe Ideas. So I thought that one was quite sad. Uh, An app that I used to love was Writing List. A little bit like Ulysses in its day. And I I was quite surprised that it had gone uh, or at least gone in terms of not being 64 bit. Um, It let you research within the app while you were writing um, on a phone, which was quite handy. One of my most used apps was PhotoForge 2. I used that for years. I just loved the effects it gave you. And I carried on using it long after it wasn't supported. Um, but now that's gone. A couple that surprised me was um, Ikea and Maplin, which are two UK-based shops. I'm sure Ikea have got a new version. So what this one was doing on my phone, I have no idea, but it wasn't supported. And Maplin is, um, would you say, electronic supplies yeah. sort of? Yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, it was obviously their sales app. I think you could buy things in it, but I mainly like used it to look up if they had stuff in stock and that had gone. There was Skyfire, which was my flash browser. So if there was flash-based content I needed, I, I used Skyfire and that had gone. And then there were three games and they're probably the only three games I ever actually play on iOS. So one called Cordy, which is a word game. There was Dabble, which is a word game. Oh, and Muddled, which is a word game. So you see, I quite like word games. And all three of them had gone. So at the moment, they're still clinging on on my main iPhone 7. But I will do the iOS 11 update. And at that point, they'll go as well. So um, very sad times, some of those apps. But some of them were a real walk down memory lane as well. Um, Like Instant Meeting, which was so good. And Jasmine, which was so good. I loved Tweet Library that had gone. Very, very sad.
1: What about Chromag Rally?
0: That went years ago, I think.
1: And Super Monkey Ball. <gasps>
0: I love those. <laughs> I wasn't very good at them. That's the problem. I get very frustrated. You know, I'm not one of these that can sit there for 15 hours just to try and get a ball in a hole. No, that's not working for me. Uh, if if I couldn't like logic them, I like the physics type games. There's one called, is it super sharp? I love that. That is brilliant. I, I love that one. But no, I don't really play that many games. So um, no. Chrome Rally was good in its day, as was Super Monkey Ball. But no, I, I can't actually see me spending much time doing that. Most of my time is spent doing things like the dreaded two-factor authentication upgrade that seemed to go swimmingly for everybody else. But as I promised, the saga of the great move to two-factor authentication. Too long, didn't read version. It didn't go well.
1: Oi, it's my job to ruin the punchline.
0: That's very true. But that's no good. You want all the gory details, don't you? Well, I studiously followed the instructions and it looked like everything was going well just before it all failed. I was seeing all the messages that I should have seen and I did research this. Um, and it was Apple's own instructions I was following and everything was going swimmingly. Anyway, then it failed. So after much cursing, there was nothing else for it but to call Apple. I seriously hate using the phone especially when i'm on hold for an age and boy was i on hold for a long time reason being apple hadn't got a clue what went wrong either how very reassuring
1: why do you hate the phone
0: phones just freak me out i really do not like phones i mean case in point two days ago now we do know that my not many people have my phone number not many people so i don't get a lot of the calls that you get you know ppi and all that kind of stuff so Generally speaking, I, I'm 99.9% sure that if my phone rings, it's a genuine call. So two, two days ago, I get an unsolicited call from the Congo and it actually came up and said, you're a call from the Congo. I think I'd know if I knew someone in the Congo and I think I'd know if they had my phone number. Anyway, I didn't bother answering, but the call promptly put the tune of the Ombongo ad in my head for the rest of the day which must be a candidate for the most unpc pc advert ever. But it was no good. I couldn't remember all the words. So I went off and found it on YouTube. So I thought I'd share the love and play it for you guys. Then it can be in your head all day. Ah, oh, too kind. <laughs> Way down deep in the middle of the Congo. A hippo token every car to go over on a mango. He stuck up with the others and he
2: danced a dandy tango. The rhino said, I know we will call it Umbango. Umbango, the chicken and the Congo. The python picked the passion for the mama. set the mandarin, the parrot painted in got the bunker of Google's land it is. So when it
0: comes to sun and fun and goodness in the jungle, they all prefer the sunny, funny one. They call umbango Bongo. See, it will be, won't it? Anyway, back to the phone. I hate the phone, but I do love the phone integration with Skype. You know, I have a Skype in number. They put out some upgrade to Skype a while back, which meant that it rang your iPhone rather than just ringing in the app. Is this making any sense to you at all? It is. Yeah, that thing. When it works. But um, I do wish that Skype would stop changing the interface for the sake of it, because the last time I dared to venture in there looked like Snapchat. And I don't treat Skype like an always on communications channel. I open it when I need it. I use it and then I close it. Um, But back to when it works, I received a call in Skype and I got no notification of the call whatsoever. I'd got no contact name despite being in my contacts. It was just showing a number. There had been a voicemail left and I got no notification of that either. And I used to get emails. Obviously, that email not needed with the iOS integration, apparently, but now no notifications at all, which meant the first I knew of the call was three weeks later when I opened Skype to check something. Did I mention I hate the phone? Uh, once or twice. Thought so. But let's get back to the two-factor saga. Uh, we were at the stage where Apple had no clue what had gone wrong. The first line support tech put me on hold. The agonising... Hold music. Seriously, it was agonizing. Are you ready? This was it. I recorded it.
2: No problem, I'll just pop you on hold there. I'll be back to you momentarily.
0: Okay. <laughs> Now, tell me that that is not painful to listen to. That is very painful to listen to. Anyway, he returned to ask more idiotic questions. After which, he still had no clue, but he put me back on hold until I was begging for mercy, as I recall it. He eventually escalated it to the next level support. And guess what? They had no clue either and put me back on hold. I was sourcing industrial earplugs by this point. So on to the third level of support. In desperation, because they had no clue either, they reset something. And that meant I had to go through the whole process again. Success! So, all told, only took 30 minutes struggling on my own, 90 minutes on the phone with support, and a final 10 minutes to repeat the entire process. Oh, and copious amounts of Valium. Your experience, of course, was completely different, wasn't it? It was. It just worked. That'd be right. Fun didn't end there though, did it? Because this is all related to two factor and why I didn't want it in the first place. We went over to the summer fair, and um, that meant I was out of the office and away from my toys, which is rare, I'll grant you. But spending the day with strawberries and a chocolate fountain, tough, somebody's got to do it. I'd actually made over 50 different posters for the summer fair for all the different stalls and stuff, and needless to say, as the doors were about to open, it was discovered. There was one missing. Now, in my defence, it wasn't me. So I hadn't been asked to make this one, but it was relatively simple. I just needed to make a quick poster. Now, relatively simple, apart from the fact it involved a Windows machine. So I dashed into the office, not having taken my own. I don't think I even had an iPad with me. No, I didn't. I'd taken just my phones, two phones. So no iPad, no computer. But in the office, there was a computer and there was a printer. Industrial size thing, about the size of our bathroom, this printer. Um, So it, it was fairly straightforward. Sit down at Windows machine, log into iCloud via Edge, crank up pages and create a file. And then all I needed to do was print it. Done and be back to my chocolate fountain. So I got as far as logging into iCloud. So this Literally, I completely forgotten it was going to bother me about two factor because I was logging into a browser. It was about a week after the two factor was enabled, but not to worry where I am. My phone is and it said it had sent a code to my devices. So I'm sitting there looking at this browser and I've got my phone in my hand. You know, it said it sent the code. What could go wrong? Well, they might have sent it, but it never arrived. So I thought, hmm, all these things happen. Let's resend it. Three more attempts, nothing, didn't get anything. Now, the two phones that I had with me, one is my main iPhone that's on O2, and that was fine. It had data full, everything it needed, nothing on there. The other phone doesn't have data. So if I'm out of the house, it can take phone calls, but it doesn't have data. So I'm presuming with that one, it would have needed data to get this request from Apple. So... Nothing. And I'm still sat there. So I read the small print on the dialog box and I, I put in a request for an SMS message instead. Nothing. So I thought this is not going well. In the end, I gave up and wait for it. Used word on the PC. I know the shame, but it's a shining example of not being able to get at my own stuff, though. And it is more of a pain in the proverbial when you're in a rush. And let's be honest, when aren't you in a rush? Postscript to the story when I got back home, there were half a dozen messages saying, do you want to allow this person to log into this machine? And I thought, well, that's useful. Mile up the road, isn't it? But uh, no, I could not get that sent to a device I actually had with me. Also, things I wish I'd known before enabling two-factor. It should have been simple, famous last words. I'd say I wish I'd known to leave a long, long, long time to do it. (laughs) I also wish I'd known that there was actually at the time a get out of jail free card in terms of you could um, email to roll it back. And I didn't discover that until I'd actually successfully done it. So that's obviously what Apple had done to roll it back when there was a disaster. Another thing I found was that there's a maximum of 25 app specific passwords per account. Well, I just assumed that would be unlimited. Another thing I wish I'd known before I created them is that app-specific passwords aren't actually app-specific. Who knew? And the last thing I wish I'd known is that the Apple hold music is absolutely agonising. But you now know that as well as I do. But um, back to these app-specific passwords, I made two for the two apps that absolutely needed it, um, which was BusyMax, BusyCal and Fantastical. But after I'd done it, I realised when, because they don't give you, they tell you you're going to need app-specific password. This is how things work now, but they don't actually take you through it. I think they assume that they'd confuse the poor dears. They'd confuse us if they give us too much information. So it was the case of, right, okay, so I'll go in and I'll make this app-specific password. At no point did it ask me to tell it what app it was specific to. And I thought, well, how can I tell you this one's fantastical and that this one is, is BusyCal? Just really so I could log in and see what belonged to what. Then I realised what how they worked. You can basically use these passwords for any service, any app, doesn't matter. And I found that very strange. I don't know if, if you've worked that out yet or have you not thought that through?
1: Yeah, I don't know why they called it app-specific password. It's... Just confusing.
0: I found it so once I realised how they were made. Um, I had to set up another one the other day. And that one did need to be a, a totally separate app. So I did create a new one for it. But I think they're thinking app specific in case there is a rogue app and you need to disable it. But I actually thought it would be far easier to go for one password per service So, for instance, a password that I mentally allocate to anything accessing my calendar. And then if one of them goes bad, nuke the password and reset it. The only problem is, as I went through this process and I did, oh, don't ever change an app specific password because everything stopped working as as I had to play around with it. But really, that's what I was doing. I was playing around with it to see what happens if. And how could I, you know, what if I reach my 25 and then I want to recalibrate in some way, you know, change these two and merge them into one. So I had to play around with it. And um, it, it's almost as painful as changing your iCloud password, which I'm sure we discussed last time. And I will never, ever, ever, ever do that again either. So uh, not the best experience overall for the whole thing, but happy to report it's working now, she said, clinging desperately to the wooden desk. But then I cheered myself up. We went on a kit buying extravaganza, didn't we? We
1: certainly did.
0: Hot on the heels of buying not one, but two fully spec top of the range iMacs, the following week we did it all again. In rather spectacular style, if I do say so myself. We hadn't done the pre-order thing with um, iPads, as one of us couldn't make their mind up. <clears throat> but on launch day, we were there at the Apple store in the Trafford Centre. Your nemesis. The infamous Team Trafford. We'd waited until the evening and then headed off after work. You'd already decided on your toy, of course.
1: I did. 12.9 inch iPad Pro in space grey.
0: Now, my previous three iPads had been silver white, as was your last iPad. But I, too, was leaning towards black this time. But what size? So I actually had a long look in the store and I would have, I think I would definitely have gone for the 10.5 as I had the first version of the 12.9. But Affinity Photo for iPad was making me think 12.9 would be better for that. So this was my problem. This was my dilemma, which was when Jane sagely suggested I just get both. Seemed a logical idea. So I did. So we wanted two 12.9 inch iPad Pros in space gray, 256 gig, one 10.5 iPad Pro in space gray, 256 gig, Two Apple Pencils and two Apple Care. All the iPads were available. The Apple Care was available, but disaster struck with news there were no pencils in store.
1: Yeah, but it was no big deal. They were available online, it could be
0: delivered in 36 hours. You'd think it wasn't a big deal. In fact, you did. Until I reminded you of the grand saga of the keyboard leg. Yeah, I'd completely forgotten that one. I wish I could say the same. My rationale was that if I bought an Apple Pencil with an iPad, then the Apple care on the iPad should cover the Apple Pencil too. The rationale for this stemmed back to my keyboard. I had a keyboard back on an old iMac and um, the leg on the keyboard fell off repeatedly. It was a revolving door at the Genius Bar where every time it did it, they gave me a new keyboard. Now, no one seemed to know what the situation was back in the day. So I'd actually popped in and I said, you know, I've got this keyboard, bought it with my new Mac, the legs fallen off. Is it covered under the AppleCare on the Mac? Oh, that's a point. Oh, let's have a think about it. Anyway, in the end, they decided it was and that's what happened. So I thought it was worth asking about said Apple Pencil. Obviously, you can't buy Apple Care on an Apple Pencil, but if you're buying it with your iPad, why not? Why wouldn't it be covered? Worth asking, I thought. And anyway, that video Nick sent me was still in my mind and I thought, let's have a play. They can only say no. At which point there was a, there was a rather hefty, expensive order about to head right out the door. So I thought that might focus their minds. But the assistant didn't have a clue either. She went off to find out the current position. Brace yourself, there was a new manager at Team Trafford. However, happy to report massive improvement on the last one, although admittedly that would not have been difficult. But in general, awesome improvement on the old team Trafford who couldn't previously muster a coherent thought between them. Uh, For the the uninitiated, the previous fun was the repair from hell, or that's what started it. Anyway, new manager sorted it all out, completely agreeing with my logic. If we were spending that obscene amount of money, I wanted these pencils covered. And um, he said he could do that. But to do it, uh, it meant we had to open and activate the iPads in the store.
1: Oh, that's a first.
0: No, it wasn't. Have you forgotten back, Bleedgate? Liverpool for iPad 2? Oh, yes. Also needed to insert and activate the mobile data SIM back then as well. Anyway, we opened these two iPads and we activated them in the store. The reason that we had to do that was that that added them to our Apple accounts. Then the manager strutted his stuff adding the pencils to the Apple Care on the iPads on our accounts and sorted it all out. He was then introduced to MacBytes, so he'll never be the same again. However, you did have great victory in the where do they get the stuff from stakes at the Apple Store.
1: I certainly did. I've got this uh, Android watch, which I use as a step counter and does various other things, but I don't use it for those. But it does look like uh, an iPad. An iPhone.
0: <laughs> actually, it is fairly It is,
1: yeah. No, it looks like an Apple Watch, and I was wearing it. It
0: doesn't look that much like an Apple Watch, though, does no, it?
1: No, but it's the same shape, just bigger than an Apple Watch. And it did fool the assistant. She did say, That's a very nice Apple Watch, or something like that. And I said, Actually, it's not an Apple Watch. It's an Android Watch, but it looks like one.
0: Yeah, but talk about where do you get the staff from if you don't actually know what you're selling? Yeah. We even managed a live stream on Facebook. I told you I cracked this Facebook thing. Um, It was us in Nero fondling our new tech. Anyway, that video totally freaked out our non-tech friends who manifest a complete lack of understanding when it comes to how much kit we just bought. Now, obviously, if we expressed our lack of complete comprehension in spending, an obscene amount of money on the stuff they buy, it would be considered to be a social faux pas. Stuff like, oh, let me think, holidays, cars, kids, handbags, shoes. But anyway, once we were done, we headed back to MatBite's headquarters. Big job in making it ready to welcome two new IMAX slated for arrival later in the week. You can never have too much kit. A sentiment proved a couple of days later when the new IMAX arrived. Actually, mine arrived a whole day before yours did.
1: Yes, but you did the honourable thing.
0: Insanely, I did. I left the thing fermenting in the hall. And I waited a whole 24 hours until yours had arrived. And we'd finished work on Friday before I actually opened it. But let's get back to Thursday night. With um, one iMac there and one promised for delivery on Friday, we were getting desperate for RAM. Both of us had ordered the 8GB base RAM model. The intention was to install 64GB in each machine, but the RAM proved to be rarer than hen's teeth crucial where we usually get it from was I'd been out of stock for weeks I didn't really want to get it anywhere else knowing how finickety ram could be but we were desperate so I found another supplier called Mr Memory now given that 128 gig which was what we were buying was going to cost over a thousand pound it was a bit of a risk alternatively faced with running on eight gig for the foreseeable future the risk it was and um we ordered. We actually needn't have worried because we ordered in the small hours of Friday. I think it was about quarter past one, wasn't it, when we'd finished pontificating? Yeah. So early, early, early Friday morning and all the ram arrived first thing Saturday.
1: Do you think the map know what that meant?
0: Oh, the kitchenalia came out. It was wooden spatulas at dawn. Well, more like noon, actually. Not good in the mornings.
2: That's an understatement.
0: Actually, it was interesting because on your iMac, the button of the um, RAM cover did not want to push in. On my iMac, that was much easier. But once I'd got it off and put the RAM in, the cover refused to slip back in easily. So it proves the point they're all different. And with a grand's worth of RAM in our hands, I did not fancy breaking anything. But all fitted in 10 minutes and we were off. Yeah, my first
1: thought was, uh, isn't it big? Because I'd never had a 27 inch before. And I was concerned that it would fit on the desk.
0: Wouldn't fit on the desk. I'd be prepared to knock walls down to get new toys in the house. I'm sure you would.
1: Anyway, that wasn't needed in the end. A little bit of jiggery-pokery with a monitor and uh, it fits fine. Also, the other thing is there's no need to leave space on the right as there's no DVD drive in it now. So I managed to push it virtually right up to the wall. So, I set it all up, installed the usual apps, you know, Dropbox, OnePassword, OneDrive, Office, Alfred, etc., etc. All the old favorites, the old faithfuls. The old iMac, I had 340 apps on it. And when I finished setting up on the new Mac, I had 101. And that gave me 800 gig of free space on my one terabyte drive. And. Might I add, I paid extra for that one terabyte, too. So did I really need all that space? Well, I don't know. I've got <laughs> it. Need,
0: n- n- yes. need, want, remember, yes. need, want.
1: It was also my first retina screen and I can really tell the difference, even with my old eyes, apart from a few niggles, which I'll talk about in the upcoming shows, it's a great machine. The 64 gig actually makes a huge difference. It's lightning fast, especially when running Windows in Fusion. Because I spend, I know it's a Mac, but I spend much of my time in Windows, um, mainly running Excel, as many of you know, I can leave Fusion running for days on end. Whereas on the old Mac, the whole machine crawled to uh, virtually a halt, actually, when Fusion was running.
0: Well, space on the desk wasn't an issue for me, but I was swapping to the wireless keyboard with numeric keypad. Much more on that next time. And I'd ordered a magic mouse. And uh, I noticed the setup of two identical Macs was actually very different.
1: Yeah, you got some images as we set it up, asking you to turn the mouse and keyboard on. Whereas mine started at the use the English language and yours showed the Bluetooth keyboard connect. The Wi-Fi configuration was also different as well
0: true neither of us did the iCloud thing though which um wise to the account creation forcing lowercase thing so um we did the account shuffle during the setup and my first magic mouse there's a lot of firsts which didn't last no, long there's a
1: lot of firsts isn't there but no the magic mouse didn't last long for me it's possessed it's a not so magic mouse yeah I'll I'll, I'll talk about my issues with my magic mouse in a future show
0: some things i noticed and i actually cannot believe they're still the same all these years on is the fact that initially there's no right click on the mouse you still need to go into system preferences and configure that so i think that's crazy um you know i hear from a lot of people oh i don't want a mac because there's no right click and i'm thinking really that well that would that would stop you but it's there it's just not turned on um Another thing that drives me insane every time I install a new Mac, Safari still has the open safe files option on in Safari. There are no files I want automatically opened or handled on download. So why they don't just flip that switch and let you turn it on if you want it, I do not know. In fact, I don't know why it's there. Just You don't need it. Just lose it. Lose that. Um, Evernote drove me insane. Evernote runs on startup, which, you know, how rude. But in fact, it's worse than that.
2: I thought it might be.
0: It runs on startup and it automatically maps the control command N key to make a new note. And that's a global shortcut. No problem with that. Well, maybe not. Except that that is the same shortcut that's already assigned at system level to make a new folder with selection. Something I use all the time for file management. So to be honest, get your stuff together, Evernote. Don't do that. I think it's impertinent to run on startup without even asking you, but to map keys at global level, no, 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 no. Um, obviously, when you're setting up a new machine, you're in the app store. Oh, it's direly slow.
1: Yeah, I can agree with that. I found it uh, slow, both on the Mac and on iOS, actually.
0: I, I Maybe it was a lot of people setting stuff up, but oh... Please, it really is. It was chugging away where it isn't giving you the list of stuff you have bought. It isn't, you know, it, it's spinning as it's trying to load in updates. Oh, hate that thing when it starts. One thing I noticed with the cable was it's very inflexible. This is the cable to the new Mac. A technical term, it's twangy. It's not flexible and bendy where you can like bend it around something and it stay there. You know, just lie there like a normal cable. It kind of twangs a bit. If this is making any sense, but trust me, and it could also do with being longer. I think it was maybe five foot, something like that. But if you think about a desk and, and the length of cable you need to get down to the floor, it, you know, it leaves you sort of eight inches to get it to, to a plug, which, um, yeah, that, that could definitely be longer. I don't I don't see any problem in having it sort of eight foot long. Also, sad demise, the unmistakable aroma of new Mac, not as strong as it was
1: maybe it's your age
0: i'll have you know i can smell new mac within a three mile radius within seconds think rampant drooling bloodhound you said it well i was happy to get this year's apple stickers anyway under cleaning cloth uh, the packaging was pretty good doubtless it could still be destroyed by a few trips apple care repair style though but back to the software uh, opera opera put an icon on my dock seriously even microsoft have stopped doing that but no, it was there from Opera. Also, I forget every time I set up a Mac, just how noisy it is, binging and bonging with itself. There's some default sound effects, and I think the alert sound is called funk. So system preferences, sound, sound effects, and off it goes. There is an option in there to play user interface sound effects. Um, even stuff like making beeping noises when the volume levels changed. I mean, why? But it's not just the system, though. Each app often brings with it its own binging and bonging. Typenator does it. I mean, this is just a couple. But the one that got me was Keyboard Maestro. When I'd installed it, I'm there probably in silly, stupid hours of the morning. And I installed Keyboard Maestro. And all of a sudden, I had the speakers on quite loud. And it said, thank you when it was installed. Well, I nearly, well, I won't tell you what nearly happened. Seriously, the software's talking to you now and saying thank you. Is it safe to assume I want notifying every single time an email lands in my inbox? Heck no. I have selective notifications via Boxcar. Bit of a blast from the past, but who's still using that? It works great. And it's got an Apple Watch app too. So it works absolutely perfectly. For me, silence is golden. It would be good if the default was off or even a global override to shut everything up at once. And I do mean everything. It's completely useless if you're doing live sessions or videos to have stuff making a noise. And obviously I do that virtually all day. So I have my own little thing going on. You cannot say to it, use, you know, don't make a noise. You have to give it um, a sound file to play. So I recorded two seconds of silence and it plays that. (laughs) This is ridiculous. I just want nothing, nothing. Give me an option. Nothing. Nothing. Um, One thing that I noticed, I'm sure you did, it's very fast to update Office now. Disproportionately faster than I would have expected. Other jobs on this Mac, it's got twice the RAM. Let's say they're twice as fast. But the Office update used to take an age. And now it just whizzes along at least 10 times faster.
1: And that was all before the real trouble started.
0: Oh, yes. The real trouble being the ITV. Already mentioned that one, haven't we? With With the take back from hell. The ITV is a hardware device, but it's also got software. And whenever I set it up on a new system, it's always a nightmare. You never get the same messages twice. It's never the same process twice. There is no option on a working system to export all the settings. And there are multiple things to set up and configure. You have to install the main application and then you have to do a search for channels. Then you have a TV guide account. And then you have to set up smart guides within it all. Um, Not helped by what happened with my TV guide account, but we we, think we both managed. Step one, install the main application. Step two was when it all started to fall apart. Yours refused to find any channels and you can't go on any further with any without channels. Mine did find all the necessary channels, though. But for me, step three was when it started to fall apart you need to log in to something called the Grace Note TV listings account, which I tried to do repeatedly and it wasn't having it. That was when I discovered it expired the day before. Mm. I had no reminder of it, no invitation to renew, no auto renewal, nothing. And it was just by chance. I thought, oh, this is due around now. And I checked and it, it, it had gone the day before. So I thought, well, I'll have to renew it manually. I couldn't go on in the system and renew it because it wouldn't let me in. So catch 22. So I went to the website and uh, I renewed manually and was informed that I could be expected to wait one day for delivery. Seriously, it's a renewal code. Can't I have it now? But without that code, you can't kickstart the account for another year. Eventually it arrived and thankfully it didn't take a whole day. So I logged in via the ITV interface. It accepted the account and now showed an expiration date in 2018. That was when it failed. I could select a channel and I selected Grace Note as the guide for the channel. But there were no channel listings available to assign to it. So I figured I'd have to leave it until the morning. As possibly this quaint one day delivery thing might have been to blame. But the following morning, it was exactly the same. So I decided I'd need to move on with the rest of the setup and come back to it later. Step four, which was the smart guides, is also a pain in the proverbial. I'd moved on to the smart guide configuration. It's very manual. You have to search for programs by name or you can do it by channel number. And it's time consuming and a multi-step process. And depending on how many smart guides you want, you can be there all day. Now, many, many moons ago, I spent some time working out how to transfer an entire range of ITV settings manually. So I tried this system and it it involves turning off um, all sorts of system level to try and get to the files so you can actually see them, zip them, transfer them, unzip them and then get everything back where it was. It still works, but you do need a functional Mac install to do it from or if you're installing over the top, if you're doing a new compave have a working Mac, do this first and save the settings out. But if you've got that, you can close the ITV app and navigate to the ITV folder. It's usually in documents, but not the best place for it. If you are recording TV programs and you have iCloud documents, uh, data, desktop and documents folders turned on because it needs gigs and gigs of storage. You open that folder and then you view the hidden files, zip everything that's there and then back it up somewhere. And then on the destination map, just delete all the folder contents, copy the zip file to it, unzip it and restart it. I did and it worked. So finally, um, final thing I did was, um, no, at that point, actually, yours still wasn't working, was it? No. I did that for you and half of it started working and the other half didn't. And yours has been on and off ever since. It's
1: working right now, but it wasn't working last week. So let's see what happens.
0: There's no logic to it. There really is no logic to it. Good job we don't really watch the TV, isn't it?
1: I've taken to I've That's taken to using catch up now.
0: Um I've actually at the weekend we have we've actually got a TV now as you well know. We 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 have acquired a TV. And then um, we were cooking, yes both of us in the kitchen, I know. And a program came on that we we actually wanted to watch and I said we're going to be 10 minutes late for it. And our TV is a standard thing, you know, valves, crank up thing. And I said, I wonder if the catch-up thing would work where I could start playing it and press pause if I use the iPlayer. So you're right. Literally half the time with the TV, you only use the screen. Um, I'm not even using the sort of reception of the channel because it doesn't pause itself. In fact, I did did venture and look at the instruction manual and was informed that if I put a pen drive in the back, it would. Which are quite fancy trying, but given the price of pen drives at the moment, I'll wait until they're a little bit cheaper. Roll on Black Friday. Anyway, the final thing that I did with my new Mac was um, name it. In hindsight, I'm thinking I'm being a little bit optimistic, but uh, I called it serenity, hoping all the drama of the ancient and broken kit will ease off for a while. But you were as imaginative as ever.
1: I was. Mine's called Mike T27.
0: Seriously lacking in foresight, I call that. What happens if you get a new one? Then it's Mike
1: T27 underscore one.
0: You're so meta. Mm. You're just so meta. Uh, Anyway, remember Reality Bites? Yes, I do. When something bites you on the... yeah iMessages lost contacts. This wasn't fun. Back when we were planning the last show, we said we should add a, a section called Reality Bites for those things that drove us mad or just plain didn't work. Little did I expect you to turn into a series that can run and run, but it will. Uh, this one's the sad sorry tale of the lesser spotted contact details. It was a disaster when setting up my new Mac. Everything has been working swimmingly up to that point, but most of my contacts in messages refuse point blank to display the contact names. Now, the knock-on effect, and I don't know how this happened either, meant that randomly my contact names weren't showing up on the Apple Watch either. Your name was fine, so it knew who you were. It mapped your phone to your name. Most of the others were not, so more investigation needed. I tracked it down to names without country codes. And sure enough, manually adding a country code to a contact meant the name appeared. There were numerous reports on Apple forums of the same thing. Um, and various fixes and all kinds of incantations you were supposed to do, none of which worked. But with 600 contacts, I figured I'd wait for Apple to fix it. I thought this is something that's on the forums. It's not just me. They'll fix it. Needless to say, three months on, I'm still waiting. So what I'm doing is I'm doing it myself by hand. And every time I add a country code, it springs into life and and, then the name comes back. So to break the job down, I'm doing it as I get or send messages to folks. But you had an interesting workaround.
1: Yeah, add, add a picture to the profile picture and then dis- that displays next to the number. You do that through view, show all buddy pictures in conversations.
0: Has it really come to this? This is basic stuff, Apple. But the reason I'm mentioning it is I sorted all mine. It was fine. Um, as long as I spend the time and put the country codes in. But now it happened for other folks with the iOS 11 update. So like um, adding country codes to the contacts like I did is fixing it, but only for some people, not for everyone. The lesson being, the lesson I took away from this was, you think about backing up your system, don't you? But make sure you've got a full working backup of contacts before you do any update as well. It's actually good practice to do that anyway. And I do my backups in two different ways. I do file export from the address book and I've got a spare Google account and busy contacts and busy contacts makes it really easy to copy contacts between accounts and thus makes it easy to do a full backup. So all I do is have my iCloud contacts in busy contacts, this Google account that I use for backups, and I literally drag and drop doing a copy from one account to another and they're backed up. Simple as that. Now, as we mentioned at the beginning, it's our 10th birthday this month and we have a plan. Brace yourselves. How about a guaranteed 10 shows in 10 weeks? Nothing like a challenge. The focus for each one we thought would be a version of the OS that we've used. So we're going to start with Tiger. Tiger was our first OS 10 version. Now, we want to hear from you lovely MacBiters with your stories of all the versions of um, OS 10 and Mac OS. Which was your favourite? Which ones have you loathed? Because you need to keep us accountable. Ten shows, ten weeks.
2: Accountable? That's an understatement.
0: Come on, Siri. We can do it. So, on with Tiger. Yeah,
1: we didn't have the pleasure of a launch day or an installation with Tiger. Do
0: you know what was even more shocking than that? I didn't actually have the pleasure of a full unboxing. You're wondering about that, aren't you? I had them fit some RAM where we bought it. So they unboxed it. What was I thinking? I'm sorry. I didn't know. I didn't understand. But anyway, uh, no, Tiger was released a year before we got our Mac. We were um, well behind in buying that. And apparently it was 18 months in the fruition, um, 18 months after Panther.
1: Going back to what you've just said, if they unboxed it, did
0: did you get to smell it? I did. Yes. Yes, it did smell of Mac. (laughs) I can honestly say it did, but I'm just thinking, you know, like the, the stroking that goes on before you actually unbox it. It was a case of, can you fit that ram? Yeah, sure. And it, and it was opened and I didn't know any better. What can I say? I, I apologise.
1: Yeah. Anyway, anyway.
0: Um, Do you know it had a gig and a half of ram?
1: Did it? Mm. A whole gig and a half.
0: A whole gig and a half.
1: I remember our first day with it. We We were like two lost kittens, really, weren't we?
0: We absolutely were.
1: Yeah, I think my got first set up okay actually. Yeah, we've
0: well, got they... it on the desk, plugged it in, that was fine.
1: Yeah, I think my first comment was, uh, "Where's the start menu?" And uh, I also, we well, we neither of us knew how to turn it off when it came to uh, to bedtime.
0: I know that was so funny. We we've been playing with it all day. We've done all kinds <laughs> of things, and it was like, "Oh, because you know you go to start and then shut down." it's like, "Oh, I wonder." And You literally, if you think of being a completely new user, is it logical that that Apple logo is clickable in the top left?
1: No, I just thought... Could be just for
0: decoration.
1: I thought it was just a marketing thing, yeah,
0: a bit of decoration. (laughs) We seriously Googled it. I remember, how do you shut down a Mac? Oh, how embarrassing.
1: (laughs) Well, it was only our first day
0: rtfM much <laughs> what we
1: did manage to do what we did manage to do success was uh, make a DVD using IDVD if anyone remembers that
0: oh absolutely and did you know that was easier than turning it off everything yeah. was just so intuitive back then wasn't it
1: mmm now, obviously, we had nothing, to, as, you, as you said, we have nothing to compare it to. But um, what, what Tiger did give us, what, what was what was new in Tiger, was Spotlight and Dashboard. Those were two of the things that I know uh, were new in, in Tiger. Obviously, it didn't mean much to us at the time, but uh, two very useful
0: things. Spotlight was a revelation after the dog on Windows, you know. Do you remember him?
1: Vaguely, yes.
0: Uh, He was a relation of Clippy, the demon personal assistant from hell. Every time you opened a search dialogue um, to search local files. Now, my biggest hard drive was like 40 gig. It took literally hours. Four to five hours was not uncommon. It was just grinding away with itself. And in the lower left hand corner of the screen, there was an animated dog digging. And as he dug, there was dirt like flew up behind him. I've no idea what they were thinking when they designed that. But is, is it coming back to you?
1: sort of i think yes
0: you sound thrilled (laughs) Mm, i was (laughs) no what annoyed me was the time it took because you know if i let it search away for a couple of hours and and then i think oh no i think the file was called this (laughs) and i would what i would do was you know when you put stuff on your desktop and you download things to a download folder yeah i'd shove the whole lot in this like silo folder and then i had to use the search to find anything and it was just a complete nightmare and it was very 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 slow Actually, as I was researching Tiger, I read the Long Ars Technica review. I didn't realise it was as long when I started reading it, but uh, there was 45,000 words of it, which explained why it was taking me so long. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes, but I found it fascinating to read in hindsight with knowledge of what's happened since. And there are a couple of questions in the opening paragraph. Um, First of all, do I really want to pay $129 every year for the next version of Mac OS X? And I was quite shocked how shocked I was to be reminded that OS updates were once charged for.
1: It is something that's easy to forget that, that we used to pay.
0: And pay handsomely. I mean, I know one of the last versions that was charged for was something like $19, $29, something like that. But to think back then, it was $129. I mean, when you think, you know, $129 today would be worth less than that. And these days, one, you don't pay. And the last time we did, it was sort of under 20. That's quite scary. I don't know what the equivalent would be now. But you're looking at uh, 2005, I said, didn't I? So 12 years on, got to be maybe about 250, something like that, 200 to 250. That's scary. Well, the next quote was, is a major OS up? upgrade every year, simply too much, too often. And I thought that's interesting as well, because back then, OS upgrades were huge, as as we know, when we went from when we went from Windows to a Mac. But even when you went from Tiger to Leopard, there were radical, radical changes. Whereas now the updates feel much more incremental rather than radical. Does the acceptability of that annual update depend on the price? got to have some bearing on it would you be less likely to upgrade every year at 129 dollars would you be more likely to upgrade if it was free probably more are we just old
1: and wise i would say more likely to upgrade if it's free but then our record on recent upgrades hasn't been great has it but um what's it oh oh yes um you you say much more incremental i think you mean bug fixes don't you
0: Yeah, sort of. Mm. Having said that, it has felt incremental for such a long, long time. But when I looked back at Tiger and I look at what we've got now. Actually, to get to get where we are now from where we were then in 12 years, not bad, not bad. It, it, It felt incremental along the way. But actually, when you think about what we've got now, it is very, very, very different. Now, their conclusion with regards to the pricing was if Apple wants to help ease the burden of the larger Mac community, decent upgrade pricing would be a good start. With a yearly release schedule, that is nearly the same thing as a simple price reduction. But if so, so be it, which is pretty much where we're at, really, except now that it's free. I think that was hard to predict back then how huge Apple would become and thus they can sustain continued development without charge. But one comment made me laugh out loud, though. Tiger also represents a milestone in macOS 10 development process. Apple has promised developers that there will be no API disruption for the foreseeable future. Starting with Tiger, Apple will add new APIs to macOS 10, but will not change any existing APIs in an incompatible way. Well, that's really gone well then, hasn't it? Nothing has broken since Tiger, has it? Yeah, right. Only every five minutes. Apple is just known for killing their darlings. Um, they don't stand on ceremony with it, do they?
1: No, not at all.
0: Now, something else that caught my eye. Tiger was the first DVD only version of OS 10, And some folks back then apparently didn't have a DVD drive. I couldn't remember when I got my first one. I can remember getting my first CD drive for the PC. That was 1994, Um, but I cannot remember when I got a DVD. But as I say, some folks didn't have a DVD. Never fear, Apple had a plan. And I quote, for customers without DVD-capable optical drives, Apple offers a $9.95 media exchange programme. To take advantage of this programme, customers must purchase Tiger, fill out a form, and then mail it back to Apple along with their original Tiger DVD and a $9.99 payment plus any applicable sales tax. Can you just imagine that these days? Mail it back in. Wow.
1: Mm, reminds me of print it out, sign it, scan it back in again.
0: Yeah, yeah, only worse. I mean, I know we all complained when it went into the App Store and there was no um, on a pen drive or anything like that. But you know, may, at least it wasn't mailing it back in. The next point to be made was just how much fuss there was over the metadata attached to each file. So I'm reading this huge article and I I was so surprised. Um, Can you imagine that when you think what's happened since? You've just got to ask why there was an argument about it. But as far as I can see, metadata, the tags, comments, etc. It's the core of iCloud file management. If you think of the coloured tags, the tags you can put in yourself, how it organises itself. Yeah. Metadata is key to that. It's absolutely key to that. I cannot understand why anybody would have been anti-metadata, as it were. There was lots of discussions about Spotlight and it actually made me feel guilty. I can't wait to get rid of the icon. Now, I'll caveat that, though, with I do use Spotlight data all the time, but I use it with Tembo or HudaSpot. And I certainly wouldn't go back to working without it. It was one of the main things I fell in love with when I switched. And it's fascinating to read how it was conceived in light of how we use it now. I realised reading this just how much I underuse smart folders. And I'm assuming you do as well. I don't use them at all. Think I've made two. <laughs> and that, that literally, that was ages ago. I certainly haven't created a smart folder in ages I think it's probably the way that I've worked, where everything for a particular project is in one folder. It might be in subfolders within that, but it's in one folder. So I don't really need to pull things from disparate locations into a smart folder. Um, I'm thinking the one I created was one for DevonThink files, and I think another one was for script files. But since I created them, I think I've created individual folders and put the files in there so it doesn't really need it. But I'm actually changing now how I handle files. And it's due to iOS devices and iCloud. Um, My keynote files are not in project based folders anymore at the moment. They're organized via the application because that's the iCloud way. And if I want those files to be available, if inspiration strikes when I'm on my iPad, I cannot have that file living on a hard drive somewhere in the office. I have to have it in the cloud. Obviously, that was a no-no. When, as you very well know, I'd open a presentation in Keynote and it would altogether now change the size of my slides. Apple, not happening. But now the iOS version is more than capable. I can do that thing of, of working on any device I choose and taking it back again. Even with fonts and things like that, it's becoming more capable all the time. So I've made the decision to leave my active Keynote files. I might take older files and put them in my project based folder structure. But at the moment, all of my Keynote files that I'm working on are in iCloud. Um, There's also a fantastic paragraph, if should you make it to the end of this review that's about four hours long. I, I just looked at it and the quote is in Tiger. Apple has laid the groundwork for a user interface that can scale from the current 100 DPI screens to future screens with much higher pixel densities. The Quartz debug application bundled with Tiger's free developer tools can be used to adjust the scale of the user interface in Tiger. Well, they weren't wrong there, were they, with retina screens? I actually wondered, as I read it, how much they knew or how much they were planning for retina way back then. And obviously, in development terms, it would have been 2003, 2004 when they were developing this. How much did they know?
1: Probably a lot. You know, Apple, they do plan about 10 years in advance.
0: I'd like to think that they knew. I I, I do. But when did the first retina machine come out? Is it about 2011, somewhere around then? Something it, would have been like a long, that. it would have been a long gestation if they did. If you think about it, the Retina phone came out first. The iPhone 4 was the first phone with Retina. Mm. That was 2009. So, no, it wasn't. It was 2010. We had to wait. It was 2010. So it would have still been sort of seven years, six to seven years. I, I would love to know how much they knew back then. Also, I was thinking as I was looking at it, if I hadn't have got a Mac, Would the halo effect of wanting an iPod have meant we went Mac in the end anyway, even without that famed Adobe event where I decided I was buying a Mac? Because I did want an iPod. I think I was a little bit concerned how compatible it would be with Windows. But either before, I I don't see me buying a Mac before I bought an iPod. But I'm wondering if I did buy an iPod, would I have thought, oh, wow, and then bought a Mac and I really don't know. I think you you. would.
1: I think you would.
0: I think I would probably have talked myself into saying no, because you use Microsoft Office and you use this and you use that. And those apps aren't available on a Mac. I think that's where I would have been. So, but for Lightroom, which was the reason that I, I bought a Mac, I'm not sure the iPod would have pushed me that far. I'm wondering if we discount Lightroom, I'm wondering what would. And there's only one app that I think could possibly have pushed me that way. Scrivener. Yeah, Scrivener. Because Keith, the, the Scrivener developer, made no bones about it at the beginning. It's Mac only. And he got a thousand questions a day when you do a Windows version, when you do a Windows version. And in the end they did. But for five, six years, the answer was no. And he, you know, he said, you could always get a Mac. And you know back then there was like the white laptop, which you could have got a lot cheaper than you know, the the th- full singing and dancing three thousand pound iMac, and I know people who did. They did switch to use Scrivener, and I'm wondering if I would have done, or if maybe I just wouldn't have heard of Scrivener because I heard of it because it was on a Mac. Mm, chances I, are,
1: chances are you probably wouldn't, mm, because you I'm weren't wondering. you weren't in the the Mac ecosystem, or that's, you would. That's have the been. point. Yeah, I
0: wouldn't have been, and I'm not convinced an iPod would have put me there. However we move on a little bit, would an iPhone have put me there? Because, oh boy, I would have wanted that. And then an iPad. And I'm thinking at that point, oh, absolutely. So maybe Apple's own hardware would have, would have driven me to switching. But it did make me wonder, because I, I remember when I did switch, you know, my, my mail stayed on, on my PC for a year. I think it was 18 months in total before I completely moved my um, mail solution onto the Mac. And probably, yeah, probably about 15, 16 months for mail. And then at the 18 month mark, I turned the PC off. It's not been turned on since. So I don't know. What about you? What would have made you switch? I honestly don't know. You probably. <laughs> I'm a bad influence, aren't mm. I? I'm a bad influence. Well, anyway, in homage to Tiger... I have added a link to a high quality version of the Tiger wallpaper into the show notes. So go reminisce. Go go try it on your um, ultra high definition retina screen now. Um, it's one of my favourites, actually, the Tiger wallpaper. I actually used that for years until I started to spend most of my time recording my screen and uh, doing live streams. And now I just have plain blue. Anybody who has seen one of my videos will see I just have plain blue. And I, I tend to stick with that. Um, I don't change it to the latest one with the new OS. Um, I think the only time I ever see that is when I have a new Mac or I'm setting one up from scratch. And sometimes it's quite nice to sort of look at it for a day or two, and then I'm thinking, no, I can't be doing with this. Can't can't see anything, and I go back to my plain blue. But um, do check out this high quality version of Tiger wallpaper because the original one would have probably filled a postage size a postage stamp size corner of your retina mac but this one is um full high def so give it a go and go retro now next time we'll be looking at os 10.5 leopard replete with tattoo actually you know the leopard launch and and leopard was one of my favorites
1: Mm, me too
0: So that's next time. But we thought the MacBytes 10 was the perfect opportunity to revisit some old favourites. Sadly, or otherwise, in some cases, these apps fall into the good but gone category. So over to you for the first of these.
1: OK, well, first good but gone app is TubeSock. And it was an app that allows you to download videos from various online sources, such as YouTube, Dailymotion, places like that. You would copy the URL from the browser paste it into tubesock and click download and it downloads an mp4 simple but great at the time actually it was amazing the fact that you could actually download videos and according to tubesock's faqs it was totally legal although the most recent version was released in 2011 it's actually still available it still works with Sierra, at least, and it costs $19.99. There is a free trial. The limitation is that it only downloads the first 30 seconds. So why did we stop using it? Well, simply, Downey came along. And uh, we'll talk about Downey in a little bit more detail in a minute. But yeah, Downey supports many more sites. Um, I, th- I think, actually, it, it says over a 1,000 sites. I didn't actually realise there was over a thousand sites that you could host videos in, but I think it includes more than your typical video hosting sites. Pretty pretty much any site that's got videos. I
0: would imagine it would include some that we shouldn't talk about. <clears throat> <clears throat> I wasn't going to mention those, but No, um, but I no. would.
1: <laughs> okay. It's it's certainly more fully featured, and and here's just a few of the features. You can configure the download destination, so you can you you can say which folder you want it to download the MP4s into. Whereas with TubeSock it was it was fixed to a, a predefined folder. There's a whole bunch of prost prost. I'll say it again. The teeth. There's a whole bunch of post-processing options, things like you can extract just the audio from a video. Um, it supports browser extensions for all the major browsers. So uh, you can click a button on the browser toolbar and the video that's on that page will be downloaded. And you can drag and drop the URL from the browser to Downey, which you couldn't do with TubeSock. It was a, a copy and paste job. You can also delay the download, so queue up a bunch of downloads and download them later. If you're on limited bandwidth, for example, and you want to uh, have them uh, downloading during the middle of the night when uh, when you, everyone's in bed, well, everyone except you, that is, uh, then you can uh, you can download them then. They have just released version three, which costs uh, nineteen dollars ninety nine. Which is the same as TubeSock, but uh, obviously you get a lot, lot more features. One of my main uses in recent years is totally legal is to download recordings of sessions from Microsoft conferences for offline
0: access. I absolutely love Downy; it very seldom fails. Um, it's faster to use than the built-in mechanism in YouTube to download my own videos. One of the reasons I'd be downloading my own videos from YouTube is that once they've been up there for an hour or so and processed. You can download the subtitle files. Well Downey lets you download your video but it will also download the SRT subtitle file too. The only issue for me was how you buy it. It's sold via Paddle. It's also available via Setup but that's a completely different beast. And Paddle is a payment gateway for app developers and the issue as far as I'm concerned is their handling of the licensing The app is activated, but it's a very strict activation. It's the horrible kind of activation. There is no management of your licenses whatsoever. You can't deactivate at all. There is no management via the website. Now, with my recent troubles with a dead hard drive and then a new iMac, it meant that my license key wouldn't work. So I came to install it on, I think it was the, you know, when I had the new hard drive hanging off the back. I think it was that one. But when I came to install it again on my new Mac, it wouldn't have it. So I used the trial. You can get a week's trial. But in the end, I gave in and I contacted the developer. Um, the developer came back to me and said he couldn't find a record of my purchase. Luckily, I had a record of my purchase. And um it was swiftly fixed by the developer pushing buttons at his end. So uh, obviously the developer can control how this activation works, but unfortunately you can't. I would love to be able to you know, deactivate it on one machine and then move it over to another. But anyway, a huge thanks to Charlie Monroe for sorting that out for me. He's the developer. Um, at which point, I think it was a couple of days later, I got a note to say version three was on its way. And I bought that straight away. Absolutely bought that straight away. I, it is something you know when we set up a new Mac, and you think, "Oh, it doesn't do that because you haven't installed something." For me, Downey was one of those apps, and that quite surprised me. I would have expected Alfred and my Clipboard Extender and One Password, but I wouldn't really have thought of Downy. I, I just, I just do it. I just run it, and download videos, um, but I sure missed it when it wasn't there. So um, yeah, absolutely. Down Downy is now the new favourite. So, bite back. Evie sent us some feedback about the live session that we ran in the summer for Affinity Photo and Affinity Designer. She said she loves them and wants more. Watch this space. Need to get onto that, don't I? But then it was Kevin.
1: Yes, a couple of weeks ago, we had an unseasonably warm spell, hideously hot weather and new kit don't mix. And Kevin kindly
0: tried to help Elaine cool down. He actually recorded me a video of himself. Steady on. Singing, Siri singing, serenading me with Christmas songs to cool me down. I'm putting a link in the show notes and now it's been a couple of weeks, I bet Kevin laughs his head off to hear that one again. I know I've got it on repeat play, so uh, definitely put that in uh, link in the show notes. But that's it for this episode of MacBites. As always, we would love to hear from you, so send your questions, comments and queries by email to macbitesuk at gmail.com and there's a contact form on the website. You can leave a comment on the show notes as well and you can follow MacBytes on Twitter at twitter.com slash MacBytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles.
1: You can follow me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike.
2: And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytes
0: So until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. I know something you don't know.
2: I very much doubt that. I can assure you I do. With my super advanced search system and bionic circuitry I can assure you that you most definitely don't know anything I don't know. You keep telling yourself that boy. You sound far too confident of your knowledge for my liking. That's because I'm absolutely positive you don't know what I know. Go on then. Surprise me. Are you sitting down? Don't flatter yourself thinking you'll astound me. Don't say I didn't warn you. Get on with it, woman. Here you go, then. Do you recall the dusky peach color of the plaster in the extension? Recall it? My eyes have been accosted by it for the last 18 months. Brace yourself. Today, she has finally painted it. Completely painted it. As in, finished painting it. Siri? Siri? Oh, dear. I did warn you.